Thanks for listening to another episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast. If you're listening or watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, as well as hitting the like button and the notification bell so you never miss a video. If you prefer audio format, search Gifted Performance on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting service and subscribe today. Make sure you also rate and review the podcast as that helps us out tremendously. Enjoy the podcast and stay gifted. Welcome back, guys. Another episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast, where we give you the knowledge and practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness. Watch this cool shit I can do. Thank you. Good to be here, guys. Good to be here. Good to be here. I'd rather program our own, like, just me being like, hell yeah. And you can press that button, like, anytime something happens. <laughs> we got the drum roll. We got everything going today. Pulling out all the stops, because we got a special guest, friend of the gifted family. Matt Cassano has joined us today. Matt, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you guys doing this morning? Fantastic. Dom, how you feeling? I feel good. Feel good? Feel psyched up? Feel ready? Yep. Paul? preparation for this podcast what'd you do big shit i did do that i got it i woke up with just enough time to shit and make sure i was here it's funny you say that because i haven't gone yet today and that was a concern of mine with the podcast (laughs) well now you're fucked i'm in trouble matt messaged me earlier before we started and he was like oh i was afraid that i fucked up the podcast by not like downloading skype or something <laughs> turns out he's gonna fuck up the podcast when he shits his pants yeah yeah <laughs> uh so matt give us a little bit of information about you who is matt cassano uh where did your bodybuilding journey begin you're i mean you're a super well-known coach on the instagram sphere everyone's sharing your stuff every day tell the people the insight the inside story to who you are and what you do Sure. So uh, I'm a bodybuilding coach and functional health coach in Wilmington, North Carolina. I've been coaching for about nine years total now, but I like to say to people, uh, I have nine years of mistakes and lessons under my belt. That's always how I think of it. Um, I first got into bodybuilding about the age of 20. So 14-ish years ago, um, I started doing MMA, which then got me into seriously lifting And then I kind of got tired of getting hit in the face all the time. And my passion then, you know, switched more to to lifting and changing my physique. And I got into competitive bodybuilding from there. Um, In college, I, you know, I I competed throughout college and I helped a few friends improve their physiques here and there. Um, But my coaching actually began uh, when I moved to Charlotte at the age of 25 Um, I started working as a personal trainer and the gym I was working at, they gave me my first, uh, you know, bikini client. Um, and I took her through her first prep. We ended up winning that show. And then, uh, she was a very popular, um, girl in Charlotte because she worked like the downtown scene and stuff. So that ended up bringing me a lot more competitors and, Things just kind of took off and that's what made me decide to you know really take this on as a career path um after a few years working with a ton of competitors i really began noticing the importance of stress management uh with my protocols and avoiding underfeeding or overtraining. um you know i didn't have 
formal, so much formal knowledge back then, but I could just see it, you know, uh, I could see it in their feedback and stuff that it wasn't working. So it was time to make some changes in that regards. Um, um, I, um, that's when I really took, um, a further approach in getting my knowledge more, um, improving my craft. I've never really been complacent as a coach. So as the time went on impact, um, my knowledge of the impacts of stress got better. Uh, I began getting a deeper understanding of gut health, digestion, and how that can really help with optimizing the physique. I myself have always struggled with gut health throughout my whole life. So did my family. Um, I knew it was a hindrance back then, but I just really didn't truly understand until a little bit later in life. Um, in 2018, my dad was diagnosed with stage four esophagus cancer. Uh, and that then moved quickly on to his liver. Uh, and three months later, he passed away. So it was a relatively quick and shocking experience. And um, as heart-wrenching as you can imagine that is, um, even more so, it was a huge wake-up call that I really needed to get the bottom of my own health issues. Um, and that's what really led to me digging deeper, furthering my education in regards to gut health, chronically high stress, that type of stuff. Um, over the next little bit of time, I started taking multiple courses. I mentored under a few functional health professionals. Um, and that's, you know, where I really feel that my, my level stepped up in regards to coaching. It's once I got that, that next phase of knowledge to, to help optimize my athletes. Um, and, and, you know, here we are today. <laughs> So um, we kind of have like a, a, a three-pronged approach by which we assess any coach to see, you know, if they're really worth their salt. And it's all about kind of like, have you been there before? So you've stepped on stage at a high level. Have you coached at a high level before? You've coached multiple IFBB pros. And number three is like, do you have the educational underpinning to explain why these people are able to compete at a high level. So what does that education look like for you? You talked about kind of furthering your education in these like functional health areas. I think because that's kind of such a murky area, like functional health and like gut health and that really runs the gambit from like truly qualified and experienced individuals that know their shit to like someone selling essential oils that you yeah. like sniff and it improves your gut health. So what did that like functional health education look like for you? Um, so, uh, I, I mean, first of all, uh, my, my initial formal education, I got a bachelor's in exercise science, uh, from UCF back, uh, in Orlando back in the day. Um, and then from there I got my, how did I not know that Matt? We went to the same school. Did we? And got the I same have... degree. I guess so, man. Right um, on. We'll Go have nice. to chat about that later on. We will. Um, we will. But yeah, from there, I you know I got my NASM certification in personal training, um, and did some online certifications for nutrition. But you know, aside from that, originally most of my knowledge came from trial and error, and just at, from an application standpoint. And you know, I'd make a mistake take notes of it and then do enough research to figure out how I made that mistake and how to not do it again. Um, and then as far as like the functional health standpoint, um, 
I got connected with a board certified functional medicine doctor a couple years back. So I started kind of not so much mentoring under him, but, you know, oh, he was always available for me to ask questions and, and you know, run ideas back and forth off of. Um, and then I started finding um, online courses available for furthering my education. Um, so I've done a few online courses with regards to gut health, um, managing uh, bacteria overgrowths, gut dysbiosis, that type of stuff, um, as well as um, courses on adaptive thermogenesis, understanding the adaptations that occur in the body with regards to high stress and um, chronic dieting. Um, so th those are really the, the advanced knowledge courses that I've taken. And then from there, like I said, working alongside a couple different health professionals to get myself healthy because I basically, you know, checked off all the boxes, high stress, poor gut health, adrenal dysregulation, hormone dysregulation, thyroid issues. So in, in, upon working on myself, that's really where I gained the most knowledge um, to, to help others. And then obviously from there, it, it's expanded, again, mainly through just experience and trial and error. And Dom, I think that you've kind of started to dabble a little bit, explore into this area a little bit more as well. What kind of piqued that interest for you? What kind of took you down that path? Well, Matt is who kind of showed me a few things because I knew I knew Matt was huge with gut health. And obviously, he's a friend of all of ours. And I was like, oh, I had a client that was just really struggling. And I was like, you know, borderline like, OK, maybe she has SIBO maybe she has some other issue. Um, and then I reached out to Matt and asked him like, could we like, you know, work together on this and help her. And then he was like, let's get updated labs. And then when we saw her labs, um, it was a whole different story. It wasn't even SIBO. It was, you know, stress hormones and sex hormones were tanked cause she was on birth control for a while. Um, but et cetera. So Matt really, was kind of who influenced me to start digging into this. And then I started doing my own research, just now reading more about it because I want to learn more about it because it's, it's super important. Um, especially with the clients we have that have gut health issues. I'm realizing that it could be more like sex hormone issue or stress response issue rather than a gut microbiome issue or, you know, IBS or something that something is causing those to cause the gut health issue. So, you know, looking into that, you could look into adrenals and things like that. So Matt is who lit the flame. No, that, and, and that's, that's really what separates, you know, Ryan, you, you mentioned kind of the, the differences with the functional health approach. That's really what separates, you know, Western medicine from the functional health approach. Western medicine is very fixated on uh, approaching the symptoms uh, whereas functional health approaches root causes. Uh, so kind of like what Dom just said, you know, most gut health issues stem from a, a deeper problem, whether it be chronically high stress, lowering stomach acidity. Uh, it could be PTSD or trauma, which is basically subconscious chronically high stress. Um, 
or, or just, you know, sex hormone imbalances. Those can disrupt gut microbiome, stomach acidity. And so those all can kind of impact gut health. And then the ironic thing is gut health or poor gut health will then impact sex hormones and adrenals. So it becomes this revolving door where sometimes you can't even tell if it's like the chicken or the egg, what, what caused what. But it's like, well, we just know both are fucked. So we, we just have to kind of approach it from there. I think Paul and I are kind of very inherently uh, pessimistic and, and skeptical in this kind of area. I think we both share that. Um, so, Paul, when you look at like the kind of mainstream media, including social media, because at this point, social media basically is mainstream media approach to things like gut health things like adrenal dysregulation what's some of the information that in that area that you read and you're just like i wish you would shut the fuck up like oh my god that is just awful well i think the tough part about all of that was early on as soon as news headlines started hitting like oh gut bacteria and how it's related to health and that early early research people on instagram just took it and they ran with it and you just saw people just self-proclaimed experts you know eat kimchi yeah. fucking whatever <laughs> like just posting on their story all the time and so it really just gave it a negative sort of uh just just scope early on i guess um well, I, I think, uh, and not to not to uh, interrupt you, Paul, but I think a major problem with that is how society looks at everything from a quick fix standpoint. So, so to your point, it's just like, oh, well, if your gut health is bad, take a cheap probiotic or ha eat fermented veggies or something, and they act like one thing is just going to solve all of their problems. And, and even to this day, you know, more and more information comes out and there's, you know, certain companies that make a gut health supplement and it's just like, oh, I, I take this supplement and all my problems are resolved. But again, you know, while that supplement might help reduce symptoms, you're not getting to the actual cause of the problem. Exactly, man. And, and that's something that I like to consider when, when I see people talk about all these things is like, you know, a lot of these symptoms and a lot of these things that happen and especially with competitors and i think often more often you see it with female competitors you have more experience in this uh maybe you can validate that but um like a lot of this stuff i, I like that you said quick fix because a lot of this stuff is sort of self-induced over time sure and something a lot of people don't think about is like you know you're exposed to these stressors when you're competitive, right? And if you're overexposed to them for long periods of time, like it may take that much time or longer for you to fix it. And, and the number one thing that people don't consider is just removing the stressor. Like, you know, like that's the number one thing. Like if you took a drug or a supplement or whatever for 20 weeks, like, the number one thing you need to do is remove that drug. That's one of the stressors. Or if you've over cardioed or you've been chasing a pro card as a female for three years straight and you're chronically dieted, like you need at least a year or two, maybe that much time of not dieting and not over cardioing yourself, you know? Right. No, that, that's a hundred percent it. You know, um, 
And with everything we do uh, with functional health, I would say that to your point, 95% of the time, our main go-to solution is lifestyle changes because that that's what's causing most of it. You know, um, obviously if it's like PTSD and trauma induced, then they need mental health therapy. You know, they, they need to address that scenario. But if it's a, uh, an action, like you said, too many PEDs, too much cardio, under eating, then yeah, you before you do anything else, you have to fix the root cause of the problem. And but you know, in society, nobody wants to do that, e- even to the extent of fat loss. It's just like, well, what pill can I take? It's like, well, you need to adjust your diet. No, 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 no. What pill can I take? Uh, it's the same idea with regards to everything. And that's how, unfortunately, our society and media has set it up is take this and you don't have to worry about anything else. And unfortunately, you know, gut health became uh, almost a fad topic. And it, it to, to y'all's point, it kind of makes you question is like, is gut health even that important or is this just the newest fad? And I think, you know, the media and stuff has ruined that, that idea for some people that gut health might not be that important when it a hundred percent is it, you know, affects a lot of the systems in our body, but what's not important is such and such supplement, uh, or this specific food or this specific diet and that type of stuff. The people are basically missing the point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah with all of these kind of like fads that you talk about, it's, it follows a pretty common, a pretty common trajectory or a pretty common course where like it becomes mainstream. It's infiltrated by a bunch of people looking to make a quick buck off of it. it. Yeah. It's completely soiled. It's completely ruined for the actual experts in that area. And 95% of the population is turned off to it because it just seems like this shady space where you don't want to be. So like yeah. it was very similar to when like IIFYM and flexible dieting came out. It was like if it fits your macros was a way for people to kind of remove some of the neuroticism around dieting. You can have an Oreo or two and it won't ruin the entire diet. Well, sure. As soon as that caught fire, everyone came in and was like, okay, it's, it's fine to only eat Oreos and protein shakes. And it's like, well, you're missing the entire point of you're missing the entire message here. And right. I see the same thing with gut health. It was like. Oh, your gut health is messed up. Throw some kimchi at it. Like throw a cheap probiotic at it. Throw this supplement over here at it. This completely generalized supplement at it. And for you, I'm sure that was very, it's a very frustrating experience to go through. It it, it definitely is. But at the same time, you know, um, most of the people that I've gotten, by the time they've come to me or a functional health professional, they've tried all that stuff. And it didn't work. And so yeah. we can almost like laugh about it together. It's just like, oh, you tried that too? Yeah. Um, and, and to the same point, you know, it's kind of like the whole, I mean, for, for years and, and not too long ago, detox teas were becoming like the thing because everyone had poor digestion. Um, and so that kind of gives like the detoxification process a bad name um, when that's obviously important to support the detoxification process, but you don't necessarily need a detox tea or anything like that 
in fact, if you're having digestive issues, you have gut issues. You don't need a tea to make you go to the bathroom. You need to address, you know, the low stomach acid, the imbalance of gut microbiome, whatever's causing that constipation, stress, that needs to be addressed, not a tea or something like that. So I think, you know, to, to our, I think all of our points, it, it really is, it just gets ruined by, by media and people trying to make a quick buck off of the newest hot topic. So I have a question. When you do bring in a brand new client who maybe has tried some of those other quick fixes before and they're looking for that improvement in functional health, what's the what's like the general assessment or the needs analysis on your end? Where do you start and kind of what are you looking for and how do you proceed from there? Um, so when a new prospective client reaches out, we either usually do a phone call or a long chat online uh, in regards to their history current issues they may have, uh, what their short-term and long-term goals are, you know, all that type of stuff. Uh, and depending on the information I initially get, I'll actually decide whether or not a call is truly needed or not. Uh, because some of these people, we're going over 15 to 20 years of poor health and being, you know, quite frankly, misled by several doctors in Western medicine. And like we talked about, you know, it's all about finding the root cause. So what I do is I, you know, essentially listen to their life story and I start picking out the red flags from early on in their life. And I start connecting the dots because if we can't find that, that driver initially, how can we come to an end result solution? So if somebody has been on birth control for 15 years and they have, you know, you know downregulated hormones, well, you know, we need to go back to when that, that birth control started and, and address that root cause. Uh, because for a lot of people, you know, we're very in tuned. So things make sense to us because, you know, we've experienced these things, we're knowledgeable about it. But to the layman, you know, in, they're in the moment with their own life. They don't connect the dots. So they need help figuring out what caused all this. And, you know, I'll talk with girls all the time who are pretty young and they'll say, you know, they're in their low twenties and they have acne and, you know, some hair growth on their face, all these different issues, gut health problems. And it's like, okay, when did these issues arise? Uh, around the age of 14 or 15. Okay. When did you start hormonal birth control? 14. Yeah. And then it's just like, like they, as soon as you explain it to them, they're like, holy shit. And so sometimes it's just kind of helping them uh, get on the same page as you, uh, figure out that problem, so then we can come to a solution later on. Um, but you know, going back to you know when a client first reaches out, I have multiple intake forms for them to fill out right off the bat. Uh, my main intake form is all the general information that I'd need to potentially program for them their age, height, weight, years of experience with training and dieting, uh, their current digestive health, their current diet, current sleep schedule, uh, what their daily uh, stress levels look like, um, their current and previous PED usage, um, and you know, quite a bit more of the normal stuff that we, we would need to know uh, with a potential client's history. Uh, but on top of that, I also have hormone health questionnaires catered to both male and female clients. 
uh, which includes multiple questions that guide me on potential imbalances when it comes to sex hormones, adrenals, thyroid complications. You know, we may touch on whether or not they have any autoimmune disorders or anything like that as well. Um, if they haven't had comprehensive blood work in the last six months, and m most of the time I'm, I'm going to request it, but especially if their intake forms have me curious and I, I'm seeing a couple red flags, I'm like, yeah, we, we definitely need to get some up-to-date labs. And I'll actually tell them, you know, specific things to get, because that's another big issue is people will come to me with labs and they're like, yeah, my, my last coach had me do this. Everything looked good. And I'm just like, all right, well, let me decide if everything looks good. Send me over those labs. They got a metabolic panel done and their testosterone. And that's all they got done. <laughs> and so it's like, all right, we need a lot more comprehensive, a lot more extensive. And, you know, oftentimes a hard part is doctors aren't willing to do comprehensive labs. You, you get a mid-20s athletic male, athletic female going and saying, hey, I need this list of comprehensive labs. They're going to be like, no, you don't. You're, you're young and healthy. You don't need all that stuff. Because obviously, you know, part of that, they're trying to save money, you know. Um, so, so most of the time I'm actually sending my clients discount lab options from online and kind of having them go that route, um, with, with lab work. Um, so once they get the labs done, we'll compare their symptoms from their intake form and their numbers and kind of make a decision from there of how to move forward because oftentimes, or not oftentimes, but sometimes the lab work actually looks okay it doesn't look that bad but their symptoms are saying completely otherwise and we really can't ignore that they're feeling like shit you know what i mean yeah i want to throw this out there dude as this is a conversation i've had to have with some of my clients like sometimes you have to bully your doctor into doing what you want them to do because they try to play hey i'm the doctor you don't need this lab work like hey motherfucker this dude works for you like i'm paying for this I want this blood work. You're going to do it and they will do it. Yeah. You just got to bully them a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Um, it, it definitely takes some push and you know, some people get lucky. They have a good doctor and they've already had symptoms for a while. So the doctor is just like, Hmm, okay, let's, let's see how this looks. On the other hand, you know, um, for a good example, I had a girl last year, um, she had, she was checking off 10 out of 10 boxes for estrogen dominance, hormone dysregulation, that type of stuff. Uh, you know, her sex drive was in the gutter. She was losing hair, all these different issues. Um, and she was on birth control, she went to the doctor. The doctor was like, you're young and healthy. You don't need this stuff. But she insisted. And the doctor was just like, okay, basically rolled his eyes. He's like, this is going to be a waste of time, but we'll do it. Comes back. She's basically perimenopausal. She has no testosterone, no estrogen, no progesterone. Her thyroid is through the roof. And the doctor, she sent me the doctor's email to her. The doctor says, this makes no sense. Why are all your hormones so low? And it's just like, because you don't know what birth control does. And that, that's a big problem that I see is doctors literally don't know what birth, the, the potential that birth control has on women. And, you know, that might be a topic for a whole nother day, uh, but 
the, the truth of the matter is when it comes to research and education, uh, way more research is done on men than it's done on women. And so we're not really, we haven't truly seen the impact of these things long-term on women in actual research just yet. Yeah, men have pretty much dumb people. physiology, right? Like men are pretty dumb in terms of their physiology, their hormonal physiology. It's like, man, oh. And then like women, it's like a million different factors. And the researchers were like, let's go with men. Let's let's do it on men. It's like they yeah. wanted like an easier job. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, we can think back. Obviously, the, the women's movement and, and independence has, has obviously changed over the years. And so I think, uh, unfortunately, the focal point just wasn't women, you know, back in the day. They, for lack of a better word, they just didn't care about women. And the only thing that mattered was controlling fertility and controlling their ability to get pregnant. So it's just like, well, let's, you know, slap this on them. But, you know, when you think about it, nobody's ever really thought about uh, any type of birth control for men. They're, they're so fixated on, you know, controlling women and not concerned with the, any possible negative effects of that, but nothing in, in regards to men, because we don't want to change a man's life. It's okay to ruin a woman's life, but we don't want to change a man's life. I, I think the problem with men, it, it's so, Everything they've tried thus far, hormonal, ha just hasn't been that effective. Well, it, sh it shuts down testosterone. That, and a man can't function without testosterone. That's the difference. Yes. We can shut down women and their body will still find a way to function. But you drop a man's test and he ain't, he ain't doing much. He ain't a man anymore. So that, that's really the, the – I would say you know the, the biggest thing there is – there really isn't a way to do male birth control unless we started giving 13 year old boys testosterone. Um, and you know, that could potentially, uh, you know, stop, uh, spermogenesis and, and, you know, prevent fertility, but even that's not guaranteed. No, see that. And that's the problem is, is all the male forms of birth control are everything we've tried thus far thought should work just hasn't like right. you give somebody testosterone and they're they there's still a chance that they can have kids we yep. hear about it all the time people having kids on cycle people having <laughs> children oh, on yeah, trt yeah. Yeah, and then my um, other coach literally just got his girl pregnant without even trying you know we talked about yeah. protocols to boost fertility because i've helped plenty of people get pregnant in the past that had difficulty did but, you man? He just literally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the thing is, like you, like we know, and that's why progestin, progestins are such a staple in many female forms of birth control is because it's very good at shutting you down. Right. And we tried that in males, but like it's still not as effective as we would think it would be. And people still manage to have kids after taking progestin yeah. type compound. You know, yeah, like the the, the, the only real solution that I know of is a vasectomy. That, that's yeah. like the only tried and true uh, solution, but we're not going to start snipping guys at 13, you know? So um, that, that's kind of just the way it is, unfortunately. 
Dom, here's an avenue we can go down. You mentioned a client earlier who you thought was suffering from SIBO. Can we go a little bit deeper into that and use that as a practical um, example of how we might work through some problems here? So set the set the stage here. This is an individual who is female. How old? Yeah, What's so her goal? She's, she's, uh, she's female, 27 years old. She's been my client for almost four years. Uh, and she's been on birth control for i think it was 14 years coming up on she went in for birth control or she went into the doctor for acne around 13 was diet it was prescribed birth control hormonal and it has been on the same one since then and uh and then she started the first couple of years we worked together we, she didn't really have gut issues or anything like that uh, it wasn't until recently where, like, I don't know if stress got higher or something, but it just, like, all of a sudden clicked. Like, would train uh, would train really hard, not see any muscle development. It just was constantly, like, soft, um, you know. And then one thing that, like, you know, we kind of can say is, like, strength or progression is not always relative to muscle gain. Like, if you're progressing with training – you might just be neurologically getting better at your movement than you are actually putting on muscle. Mm -hmm. Cause she was confused by that. She was like, well, I'm progressing in training. And I said, well, it doesn't always, you know, correlate one and one, you know, you, you might just be getting better at that movement. Um, or it could and, be ten tendon and joint, you know, strength and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so then she, you know, constantly had this huge bloated stomach. Like when I say bloated dude, like it was bad. And that was when I thought of SIBO. I was like, okay, she has, it gets worse when she takes probiotics. Can you, can you define what SIBO is for people who might not know? It's small intestine bacterial overgrowth. So there's just a, you know, a, a, a disruption in gut biome in the small intestine that's created by overgrowth of the bacteria there. And then when I was talking to Matt, he asked me, does it get worse when she takes probiotics? And I said, yes. So that kind of like gave us another reason to think it was SIBO because she was just adding more bacteria to an already overgrowth like environment. So we, so he, uh, he suggested getting like up-to-date labs because her labs were, I think like four months ago. He's like, let's just get a new one. And I use the same website he does for comprehensive lab work. So we sent her to go do that. And uh, then we saw testosterone was really low. Estrogen was really low. Progesterone was really low. Her cortisol was through the roof. Her C-reactive protein was high. Um, and then he made a good point, too, about um, alkaline uh, phosphatase which usually comes from like a deficiency in zinc or some sort of malnutrition going on there. So that's when we kind of both were like, well, we had a phone call and then he kind of explained it to me, like how much birth control actually had to do with all that. I got to pause you. This is the most you... epic speech ever because all I can hear is Paul's but like TV in the background. And Dom's like, Dom's like I feel like she had C-bone in the back. It's like, bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Shit's getting way too dramatic for me. Uh, yeah, so then like, so back to like what Matt said a while ago, like you have to remove the stressor. So 
we have to have the conversation of your really only options to get off birth control at this point. If you want to fix these, um, Matt had suggested the, the copper IUD because it's non-hormonal. If she was really, really it, like really adamant about staying on some sort of contraceptive, but she was really open to getting off. Um, she wanted to. Um, so that comes back to full circle. Like you have to remove this, you know, one of the stressors at least, that's probably doing the most and then work your way backwards. Yeah. His client actually had a really interesting case, which, you know, I've seen now not often, but a couple times. Um, and, and to, to your point, Dom, you know, w with, with the cascades that happen from hormonal birth control and high stress, it's never immediate. You know, though some women start seeing symptoms, like I said, you know, after, one to two years of birth control but what we're seeing is it's really hitting home five ten fifteen years down the road that's when the effects are really hitting home and the symptoms are kind of out of control and stuff like that um in her case it was it was an interesting scenario because the birth control had shut down all of her sex hormones uh, she was, you know, completely perimenopausal at that point. And so because of that, her adrenals had to compensate by dumping more cortisol. So basically she was living off of pure adrenaline. Like her cortisol, I think was in the high thirties. Yeah, um, so it was, it was more than just, Oh, she's stressed. This was a, uh, a compensation due to lack of sex hormones. So it wasn't just like, hey, stay on the birth control and we can calm you down. The compensation would have still continued. The high cortisol would have still continued because she had zero sex hormones. Um, and so getting off that birth control now, uh, you know, they're, they're obviously working towards also lowering stress, but it should be a very quick turnaround. I'm thinking, you know, four, six, maybe eight weeks tops where they recheck labs and I wouldn't be surprised if her cortisol went from like 36 to the low teens ju just yeah, by I mean, making those shifts. I mean, she already feels a lot better. Um, even like in updates that her stomach's way less distended. She hasn't complained to me once about any bloating or um, like reflux or anything uh, just because she, she feels a lot less stressed. She even said, and I think too, a lot of it had to maybe do with it, like mentally. Sure. Like, she, like she, like she felt so relieved that she was finally getting off birth control, and that she was doing this and actually working towards it. Because, you know, she had the conversation with me of like, well, eventually I want to have kids, and I rather do this now than, you know, when I'm ready to have kids, and then I work with a doctor who has no clue what he's you know, doing for me when it comes to coming off birth control, because it's almost like, uh, like Matt was explaining to me, it's almost like they need a full post cycle therapy when they come off of birth control. Yeah. It, it I, can I take a lot months. of doctors don't do that. No, it, no, they don't do anything like that. It, it, it can take months for it to recover. Um, but if you support the right things, you could expedite that and make it weeks instead of months. You know, I mean, honestly, Women are so resilient when you hear that a female has been on 
something that, you know, uh, like birth control since the age of 14 months is kind of like a beautiful situation even almost because, yeah. you know, as a male, uh, you can talk to a male bodybuilder that's been on anabolic steroids for four or five years straight and it may take them a year or two yeah. to have kids, yeah. you know, like. Yeah, no, I mean, when you, when you think of it that way, the, the resiliency is definitely there. Um, now every person is different to different, uh, different in that standpoint, some bodies don't recover. And, you know, I've had women, no matter what we've done, we've done six to eight months of healing their gut, lowering stress, supporting hormones, uh, doing everything we can. Um, and their labs come back still relatively low. And that's when we start having to talk about hormone replacement therapy especially if they're already in their late 20s or early 30s it's like well look you know with your age and you know and this and that i just don't think things are coming back and if you do want to have kids then you you obviously need these hormones to be fertile and hormone replacement therapy at that point is the safest and and best route to go so so hormone replacement therapy for like a woman they can still pass an egg and everything then Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, okay. it doesn't it doesn't hinder that at all. Um, you know, uh, de depending on what they need, if, if everything's low, they may need testosterone therapy, as well as progesterone therapy. Some women only need progesterone therapy to to get that fertility going. Um, but yeah, you know, women will ask me that all the time. It's like, well, if I choose hormone replacement therapy, is that going to hinder my ability to have kids? And it's just like, no, right now is hindering your ability to have kids because your progesterone is zero. And, and they haven't had a cycle for over a year. And it's like, well, if you haven't had a cycle, then you're not having kids. I guess that's the one thing that's a little conflicting to me um, hearing this is that if, because essentially that's kind of what birth control is, is a form of HRT. Sure. You know, they're getting forms of estro estrogen, estradiol. Sure. And a form of progestin. So I guess how does the, how does HRT help them or allow them to still have kids? So, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, that's essentially what birth control is. Uh, so think of it as, you know, just like testosterone shuts a male males production down the same idea what they're doing is they're giving women a very very tiny dose of progesterone or estrogen just enough to cause a reverse feedback loop and shut down production so a way of thinking about it paul would be imagine giving a guy 10 milligrams of test a week not yeah. enough to perform but just enough to shut down natural production and that's essentially what hormonal birth control does um, it's, it's not enough to suffice them, you know, for replacement. Whereas with hormone replacement therapy, they're actually taking high enough doses to replace their natural levels. Okay. Cause so I, I'm I had people say that they're like, well, isn't that the same thing that I was already doing? I was taking a progesterone and it's just like, you're comparing two and a half milligrams to 200 milligrams. Okay. So. When you do that full uh, replacement dose, um, are they still able to produce like luteinizing hormone, FSH, and all, all of that still uh, 
I guess allows them to like make the eggs and pass the eggs and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Everything still works in conjunction. Um, now I haven't, I haven't done, you know, long-term lab research. So like, for instance, I haven't had a, a client long enough period of time where three years down the road, we, we see what her FSH is like and stuff. Um, but the hormones that are needed for fertility are available. Okay. So it's kind of like, you know, with a male, if we're, if we take test, you know, for 10 years and our LH and FSH decline are, are, we're still good because we're taking the testosterone. What that can impair to your point is it can impair spermogenesis. So that's why HCG, HMG, Clomid, something like that might be needed. For sure. For sure. Now, Matt, you mentioned a term that is like a pretty common one that I see people throw around a lot. It's that like hormonal cascade. You know, people love that. People love downstream and they love yeah. cascade. And you're like, OK, what do either of those mean? Well, there's a cascade downstream. And you're like, aha, it all makes sense now. <laughs> so those, those that's are the universal term. Yeah, that's like <laughs> just like, you like, know, I do this because there's downstream action. Shut the hell up. You don't know what the fuck you're talking like about. 50% of the 50% of the people that say downstream have no idea what they're talking about. No clue. Yeah. So it's a pretty common term, but let's take kind of that cascade of hormone action that you were talking about, you know, the just absolute crushed sex hormones that may lead to this stress response where you're relying on that stress response all the time. Let's couple that with a very common goal where hormones are often made the scapegoat, which would be something like fat loss. So how does that like birth control to stress hormone cascade affect a goal like fat loss? Because you'll hear some people say things like, you know, as long as you control for calories, these things don't matter. Like the stress doesn't matter. The cortisol doesn't matter. The sex hormones don't matter. You control for calories. You're fine. Sure. Um, well, I mean, to a degree that isn't, isn't true because what we have to think about is what is a calorie deficit? A calorie deficit is essentially a stressor. You know, something to keep in mind is that the human body, um, wasn't, isn't created for 2021 lifestyle. The human body was engineered for caveman times. So centuries ago, um, the, these adaptations were created because of what life was like back then. For instance, you know, if there, if food was not readily available and the body sensed um, uh, a time of famine, it would adapt by lowering metabolic rate through, you know, lowering thyroid and thus saving the body from starvation. And to the same extent, it, you know, starvation is essentially a threat on the body. And that's what the body senses any type of stress as. It doesn't differentiate stressors, it just sees stress. And so when it sees that the body is in a uh, threatened state, it's thinking to itself, okay, now is not a time to be reproducing. So we're gonna shift energy prioritization away from fertility and focus on survival. So that's, it's important to keep that in mind that that's everything that's happening in the body is a natural survival mechanism uh, that the body is, you know, designed to do. So we always think of, you know, this stuff as bad things like, you know, metabolic uh, dysfunction and, and stuff like that. It's not dysfunction. It's just adaptations because your body is overly stressed. 
Um, so do you kind of want me to go through that whole process of like what happens in the body? Uh, we might be here for a little long if we do yeah. that. So maybe we just like TLDR it. We just cliff notes that bitch. Sure. Um, so essentially, um, all the hormones are derived from pregnenolone, correct? So we have cholesterol going to pregnenolone, uh, which then converts downstream to all your other hormones. Uh, what happens when uh, the body is in a constant sympathetic state or high stress scenario, everything diverges to cortisol instead of progesterone, testosterone, and estrogen. So the body basically prioritizes everything going from pregnenolone directly to cortisol. This is kind of known as the cortisol steel. And that's where we see hormone down regulations otherwise, uh, because everything's fixated on dumping more cortisol and helping the body survive. So that's what we see with whether it be, you know, under eating, overtraining, uh, wh whatever that case might be, it's just at the end of the day, stress. So to your point, you know, with as long as you keep calories high enough, well, yeah, that's preventing one major form of stress. And that's, you know, essentially starvation and malnourishment on the body, vitamin deficiencies, mineral deficiencies, stuff like that. We're preventing those things. So that's a huge part of, you know, preventing these down regulations. But if someone's eating plenty, but still doing three hours of cardio and training a day, it can still happen. It's just another form of too much stress. Absolutely. Something I wanted to throw out, uh, you know, I, you might have comments on like something I want to be careful of is not over demonizing uh, birth control as well. Sure. Um, because I think like uh, you hear people say like, I, I don't agree with birth control. You know, maybe they've had a handful of clients that struggle to lose weight on certain types of birth control or whatever, but there's so many different types sure. and they can impact your ability to gain muscle and, and lose fat and stuff like that. And some of them are worse than others. Sure. Right. Like Depo Provera, yep. um, probably one of the more worse ones for body composition and athletic performance, yep. you know, versus some of these. Other, and there's various generations as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because I've had circumstances like me early on as coaching where I'm coaching a female, she doesn't seem to or she is losing fat, but, I'm, you know, we think we could get be we could get better results. And, you know, I'm reading stuff on birth control. I'm like, oh, maybe let's try not taking our birth control. And th there's no impact. We go back on birth control and everything works fine. And for a lot of females, you know, a lot of females will be on birth control for the majority of a lifetime sure. and be completely fine, yeah. you know, but there are pro uh, occasionally some that are maybe either on the wrong birth control or just have an adverse effect to, to the birth control or being on birth control in general, you know? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, th this is not nothing in the human body or science of the human body is black and white. You know, and that's a big thing. I try to not make black and white statements. Everything is a gray area. So, I, you know, to your point, Paul, it's really more so saying this can potentially happen and it's not necessarily, this is definitely going to happen. Um, so when a client comes to me, um, if, it's a, if it's a functional client and they're complaining about a slew of issues, then obviously we can assume, you know, birth control is having a play in that. But if someone comes to me and they're, they're feeling perfectly fine, you know, everything's going well and they want to do a contest prep, 
we may talk about it um, and, and see, but if we get labs back and nothing looks too crazy, I'm not going to say, listen, you have to get off birth control. Like I, I am not telling a woman how to live her life, you know, so I'll give her the information, you know, that she needs to make her own decision. And I will work with whatever decision she chooses to make. Um, I've had plenty of girls run birth control through prep and be totally fine. What I've seen is, you know, after three or so years of consistent preps, things start adding up and that's where we see hormonal deficiencies where then we might have to talk about getting off the birth control. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing too. And especially it's really common among females is to do those back-to-back -back preps and make those long stretches and chase a pro card for a few years straight. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of times just need need that chunk of time yeah. to back off from that as well, you know? Yeah, because that's what it is. It's not so much that birth control was the only thing wrong. It was birth control plus chronic dieting, overtraining, all these other stressors. Maybe they had relationship issues. Maybe they were drinking heavily in their college years. You know, maybe there's a lot of other toxic load on the body and stressors. But the problem is total accumulated stress. Everything is added up to be too much. Yeah. And when I say competing back to back for three years straight, we all know that alone. It's not just the competing. It's the rebounding, fighting the rebound with more cardio, literally like having clients like call you or message you like I'm crying right now because I just weighed myself yeah. and like putting that massive load of stress on themselves. Yeah. You know? Yeah. A lot of it's psychological, the starving, binging, starving, binging, and then, you know, worrying about the scale. And, you know, uh, I, I wanted to say this too. Another reason why I think this is becoming so prominent these days in comparison to years ago, not only just from a research standpoint, but stress is higher. You know, it, we're, we're all glued to our phones. We're all glued to our laptops. Um, we're all working a lot more hours. We're sleeping less. You know, we're chasing that American dream of team no sleep and grind it till you get it. All of those things are accumulating more and more stress. And, you know, to our point we talked about before the podcast with me and Dom and these young kids, now we're seeing adrenal issues in kids as young as 21. And especially in the last year, these kids were in high school. They got locked into their homes. You know, they couldn't socialize. They, they had all this other anxiety and other factors playing a role. So now I think it's just the fact that overall, if we, if we were able to compare the average cortisol now compared to 10 years ago, I think it would be significantly higher. And that, that's really what we're seeing, uh, why we're seeing so many of these issues become more apparent now in comparison to before. Well, it's crazy when we talk about how there's more stress. I think like, I, I don't know if that's true, um, but it's like, we don't have real like things that we should really be stressed about anymore. Sure. And so like the, the stress that would be there if we were actually like living in the wilderness and starving and protecting our lives, sure. it's now being put into why don't I have more Instagram followers? Sure. Why don't I have a pro card? Sure. You know, why don't more people like me, you know, like, yeah. or, you know, job stress and shit like that. Yeah. I, I, I yes. It. 
I posted something the other day. Andy Frisella from First Form was on a podcast. And he's like, do you know what the problem is? He goes, none of you actually have fucking problems. He's like, you guys are sitting here watching this on a $2,000 phone or on a $2,000 laptop. You guys don't have real problems. And like, even the other day I had a client, like I, I, this client has been a client of mine for a while, but he was complaining about being hungry for his prep. And I was like, dude, you're eating six times a day. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, you eat six times a day still, and you're complaining about being hungry. Ever since then, he hasn't complained about being hungry. <laughs> it's, it's perception. A lot of it is perception. But perception, can, you know, our mind and our hormones and our gut are all interconnected. So, you know, perceived stress, the body still sees it the same way. Uh, it, it, you know, it, social anxiety or, or social media anxiety, like you mentioned, Paul, the crazy thing is that anxiety from not getting followers or something like that it, to your body, it's the equivalent of being chased it's by a lion. The, the stress yeah. is the same, and that's the problem. Uh, we need to be able to shift people's perception of things. And that's a big part of what I do with lifestyle clients is you know, sh- shifting their perception and their thought process towards life as a whole. You know, It's not that bad. For real. Like, it's crazy. You know, I have conversations with people like post prep, they binge a little too hard, they get a little too soft. And you know, you have that person that, you know, may literally be crying, you know, and and they're messaging you. And you're like, hey, man, it's gonna be okay. We, We can't diet because you just finished your prep six weeks ago. And that's the last thing you need. You're just gonna be fat for a few months. And then we'll do a diet, we'll clean it up and you won't be fat anymore. It's all going to be okay. And they're like, oh, shit, you're right. I'm like, I died it off before. I guess I can do it again. Right. right. <laughs> you know? They literally think like, my, I'm, I'm never going to be this again. You know? yeah. I think a lot of that is like self-imposed stress, which is impossible yeah. to escape from. It's like you yeah. can't you can't ever get away from that. It's 24-7. Whereas, like you said, in caveman times, like the source of stress is that like, mastodon that chases you every time you try and go get fucking berries or something so what do you do you go back to your cave you shave up a spear and you go and you kill that motherfucker and then the stress is gone whereas now we can't we would that that stress is is inescapable just do what i i do man ignore all your problems there you go just pretend you're not there dude yeah well and and to to your point uh ryan um a a popular book in functional medicine is called why zebras don't get ulcers and they compare the zebra analogy is often used when talking about chronically high cortisol because that's what differentiates humans from every other species you know when a zebra gets attacked by a lion cortisol spikes fight or flight he dips, and as soon as he escapes, cortisol goes back down. That is a normal, healthy stress response. With humans, we are the only species where chronic cortisol becomes a thing because, like you guys said, it's not being chased by an animal or something. It's worrying about bills. It's worrying about a meeting with your boss or getting fired. It's relationship things. It's things that chronically stay on our mind all the time that we can't let go of. And so oftentimes when I'm helping people lower cortisol, therapy actually plays a major role in that and helping people let go of things. Dude, it's huge, man. you know, I was, uh, I, I had a set of blood work when I was in the army, man, right before I got out. 
and I can't remember the numbers. This was before I got into, this was back in 2012, like just as my journey into like learning about hormones and stuff. And, and it was because of these things. Like I got a set of blood work done. I can't remember the numbers, but uh, the doctor was like, wow, your AM cortisol is like two and a half times the range right now. Um, and, and I knew I was like, holy shit. And, and I, I was stressed out all the time. You know, I, I was just in a stressful point in my life in the military. Sure. And yeah. just getting out of the army changing my mindset a little bit losing a bit of body fat too because i was over fat for sure and then you know i got my blood work done like a year later and everything was cool man you know yeah minus my testosterone. my testosterone was still a bit low but it came up some there's a fix for that yeah no i went i went on H, uh hrt boom <laughs> yeah all right, so we are coming up on that one hour point. I had this big long list of myths that we were gonna bust. So the only possible scenario here is that you will see Matt, hopefully, if he wants to hang out with us again, you will oh, see I'm Matt. I'm absolutely down, man. You guys let another... me know when you wanna do part two and we'll, we'll keep this going. Part two, we will be crushing some myths, some blood glucose, insulin sensitivity, menstrual cycle myths. You're not going to want to miss that one. But I did want to give a chance as we work our way out here. Matt has a special course, series of courses that he's working on. I wanted to give him a chance to intro those, do the whole sales pitch, elevator pitch it for me. All right. Uh, so, yeah, um, actually, you know, it's funny because this basically was our hot topic today. Uh, this upcoming Sunday, August 15th, I'm doing a cortisol masterclass, which we go over, you know, a lot of the stuff we talked about today. What is cortisol? Um, what it does in the body? Uh, not demonizing all the time, understanding that it is a natural safety mechanism for survival and, you know, getting a grip on why it happens and so that way you can better understand why the things in your body are happening and how to mitigate those things um it goes over low and high cortisol levels the symptoms that you would experience from both sides of the spectrum blood glucose dysregulation hormone dysregulation all, all that jazz and then of course we go over how to um, how to improve those scenarios in both a lifestyle client as well as a, a prep client scenario because obviously those are very differentiating things in a lifestyle client we're just trying to you know get them healthy and calm them down and a prep client we still have to lose fat so that takes a little bit different of approach more advanced approach and actually you know the approaches to both of those is can be somewhat contradicting in that regard because you still have to push the body when it comes to contest prep. Uh, so that's coming up this Sunday. And then uh, in September, I'm actually going to do a comprehensive lab work class, which seems to be a pretty hot topic because people are realizing that they need to pay attention to their blood work a little bit more. What? Uh, I know, it's crazy. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, the last one that I'm planning on doing, well, for now, it's, it's the, the last one. Uh, I may do more, but uh, it's going to be uh, adaptive thermogenesis and the mastering the reverse diet. And I'm sure while some people are excited for that, I know a lot of people don't want to hear that one because they don't want to stop eating their giant cookies and all that stuff post-show. Uh, but if somebody's a serious athlete that wants to, you know, optimize their reverse diet and their growth phase post-show, it'll be It'll be a good one. Sweet. Don't take my fucking cookie. <laughs> <laughs> ten, your 10-pound ten, ten post-show cookie. Oh, yeah. 
Is that a was that a John Jewett reference? Did you just are you throwing shade at, at our boy John? <laughs> no, if he had a ten pound cookie, more power to him. Uh, I, I've seen a few people post like a giant cookie on a scale, and I'm just thinking, well, there goes your entire reverse and insulin sensitivity. There goes your stomach. There goes your butthole. There goes everything. You're done. <laughs> You're done for. All right, folks, we will see you on the next one and do the YouTube stuff, the liking, the commenting, the subscribing, all that stuff that puts us in the algorithm's good favor. We love you, algorithm. Uh, Please make us famous. It's all we want in life. Uh, We'll catch you on the next one. But until that point arrives, stay gifted, folks. See ya. Thanks, guys.